But Acts 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verses 40 through 42, and the word of God declares, it says, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, somebody say every day. Somebody say, not every other day, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching. Now, this is key here, that Christ is Jesus. Now, I'll emphasize on that, but look at what Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11 declares to us. Paul said, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Wow. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, I was looking at a documentary some months ago, kind of like a pandemic binge watch of documentaries. I don't know what you guys like. to. I like documentaries. I'm fascinated by documentaries. I can watch documentaries all day. My wife can attest to that because when it's on Netflix and uh, uh, Hulu and uh, Amazon Prime, you, you go through my account and there's a bunch of documentaries, old war stories and uh, gangster uh, documentaries and, you know, uh, uh, scandals, uh, you know, documentary. I, I, I'm just fascinated by, by history. <laughs> I'm fascinated by history. Uh, but I was watching this documentary some months ago uh, concerning the, the stories of real life stories of people. And... You know, it was talking about how they lived hard lives. And it was a series of different participants in the documentary. And it was a sort of tell-all type of documentary. No filtering. Just their lives as it is. And they were allowing the people to focus on this documentary to, to telling their life story without hiding anything, without any uh, uh, embarrassment. Saying it as it is. Letting them tell all. But in one of the particular people interviewed, it was a man, he was a, about 40 years old. He was telling a story and very compelling, very raw, real. Uh, you know, he spoke about early childhood, uh, being beaten, uh, hurt, uh, neglected. He started to talk about uh, the time he first used drugs, what he felt. The euphoria, the euphoric feeling that he felt and what he was attracted to and what attracted him to the lifestyle. Started to break it all down. Um, he, he started, uh, he talked about when he started to use drugs and somewhat of the idea he had when starting his addiction. He talked about his prison life. He made a statement that, uh, something that caught my attention and he said, I was born for her. That that was, uh, it just shook me to my core because he said, I was born for hurt. God allowing me to be born has just caused me pain. And all I've known is pain. That's what he said. All I've known is pain. And the person interviewing him said, why do you think God chose you for pain? Why, why do you think God allowed you to be born for misery and pain? And he said, why would we think otherwise? 
I don't have any evidence of happiness. My body and my face and my history, my physical body and everything about me has no evidence of joy. It, it has no evidence of peace. It has no evidence of happiness. All, all I've experienced is tragedy. And he, he said, look, at, here are some scars and tattoos that tell my life story. You know, and he raised up his shirt, you know, all <laughs> gangster, you know, he raised up his shirt. He had bullet holes and stab wounds and tattoos, his whole body, you know. And he started to tell his story. And he said, you know, this one, I, you know, when I was this age, I got shot. And this one, you know, when I was in prison, you know, I got stabbed and I almost died there. I was laying there and the guards didn't do anything to help me. They just left me bleeding out. And, you know, and this one, you see my eye, it's, it's actually still broken. My eye is still at a place right here. My he started to tell the story. He said, this tattoo represents my son that got killed. And this tattoo represents my wife who, you know, um, we left a family gathering as she was walking down the street. A drunk driver hit her and, and killed her instantly. She died. And, and, and he began to tell his life story and give uh, uh, facts about the misery he had lived. And, and he declared that he had no facts or no history or, you know, no evidence of happiness in his life. He was carrying himself and physically responding. He said, look at how I've responded to all the drugs that I have taken. And some would say, Lord, have mercy. Let him find your love, God. It was compelling that at the end of it all, he mentioned slightly, you know, I know I haven't made the best of decisions. A lot of what happened in my life, he said this, is a domino effect. It has been a domino effect. One decision has led to another and one problem has led to another and one scar left to another, uh, was led to another scar and one hurt was led to another hurt. One addiction was led to another addiction. My life has spiraled and I've lost control of it. And I'm living my life and I don't have history of any goodness. The man asked him, do you think any goodness can come in your future? He said, yeah, I, I think if I allowed it to, I just know too much pain. You know, as I think about this man's story, I think about the disciples and how much they had to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. To obey the call of the gospel and preach it passionately without excuse or apology. You know, they were constant and intentional about the vision of the gospel. What was the difference? I asked myself, what was the difference as I was writing this part of the sermon, this section, this last part? What was the difference between the suffering of this man and the disciples? They both suffered. The difference is not in much of the cause. Some would say the cause is what's make, what made the difference. I don't think so much it is the cause that makes the difference of the suffering of this man in the documentary and the disciples that suffered for the cause of Jesus Christ. I believe the difference is found in the for who. The, the difference between the suffering of this man and the suffering of the disciples because they both went through difficult suffering. What made it all worth it is this man discovered who all of his suffering was for. And these disciples bared the suffering of their life in teaching and preaching and going through what they went through for who they served. Looking back, I can guarantee you that if this man could go back in time, I guarantee it, he, he would change all of his sufferings. He would choose a different course of life. The disciples, I believe, would not. Wow. Look at this. You see... There's two types of sufferings in this world. This man said, if I could go back, I would change it all. I know that he would. he would. He would choose not to go through the sufferings at all in his life. And some of you this morning are saying, if I could go back in time, I would choose a different life, a different course of life. I would have made a different decision. Instead of going through all of that pain, instead of going through all of that suffering. But these disciples went through what they went through saying, if I could go back in time, I would do it. All again the same way. Because of the who. Now God can be glorified in this man's life. 
That he would see and realize God has a plan for his life. Instead of mourning over his scars and tattoos. Instead he could choose to glorify God. That God has led him through him. But I want to speak to you about Psalms 31 through 12. Look what it says in Psalms 30. I couldn't cut a piece out of this chapter. I had to speak it all to you this morning. But look what it says. David said in Psalms 31 through 12. I will extol and praise you. O Lord, for you have lifted me up and not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. Look at this. O Lord, you have brought my life up from the Sheol. And we know the Sheol means hell. Right? You have brought my life up from the Sheol. The netherworld. I love that. The place of the dead. And you have kept me alive so that I would not go down to the pit, the grave. Sing to the Lord. Look what it says. Sing to the Lord, O you his godly ones. And give thanks at the mention of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Hallelujah. Weeping may endure for a night. But a shout of joy comes in the morning. Let me keep on going because it says, as for me in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. By your favor and grace, O Lord, you have made my mountain stand strong. Look at this, how God humbles us. You hid your face and I was horrified and I called to you, O Lord. And to the Lord I made my supplication, specific request. That's what it says. That's what it means. I made specific request. What profit is there in my blood? In other words, what profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, the grave, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness to man? Here, O oh Lord, be gracious and show favor to me, O oh Lord. Be my helper. But I love this last part of Psalms 30. It says, you have turned my mourning into dancing for me. Look at this. For me. You have turned my mourning into dancing for me. You have taken off my sackcloth and my clothes. Clothe me with joy that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Every single one of us have lived dishonorable moments in this life. And times we would hope to erase. Because we don't see how God would want to be a part of the story and the misery. We see a past not worthy to give God glory, and, but he brought you out of it. You forgot he brought you out of it. Not so that you could look back and say, forget about it, but to, in spite of it, glorify God that he was in the midst of it. Now, you might say, Pastor, what does this have to do with Acts 5 this morning? Well, if you look at the enemy, what, what the enemy was trying to do with the apostles by beating them and letting them walk out of the meeting of the council, maybe with bruises and bleeding or maybe limping, maybe black-eyed or whipped, they suffered dishonor. And I wonder what the wicked consequences that the, the, the apostles had to endure at the, hounds, at the hands of the council that they enforced upon their bodies. Why did they do it? They did it so that they would feel embarrassed walking out on account of the name of Jesus. But on the contrary, it caused rejoicing in them. Now some of you are going through some issues right now as you're serving the Lord. And you're feeling embarrassed to talk about you being a Christian. and Talk about uh, that God still has his hand over your life. Because you're thinking, uh, you know, uh, such a dishonor. A Christian life is supposed to act happy all the time. And it's supposed to act like we got it in order all the time. And my home is in order all the time. And my relationships are in order all the time. I, I should never go through calamity. Why? Because it's showing that the Lord is weak in some way. No. But in your weakness, God is made strong. I praise God all the the more when I can't because he can I praise God all the more when I don't have it because he does I praise God all the more when I'm abandoned because he's with me I praise God all the more when I am left in the dust
blessed. Why? Because God is my lifter of my head. Come on, somebody bless the name of the Lord. And some of you here this morning, you got a testimony to tell the world of what God has done. You said, I was homeless. I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I was depressed. I wanted to commit suicide. You still haven't told anybody about it yet. But I've come to tell you this morning, don't you walk out shameful from your place of beating. Don't you walk out shameful from what God did in your life. Praise God. Give them glory. Rejoice in the Lord. Let them see the whipping and the lashes on you. The devil didn't get the last laugh. God is rejoicing over your life. He has given you life. He has given you promise. He has given you a hope and a future. The devil wants us to be all embarrassed. Oh, well, you know, the, uh, it's not the Christian life I would have wanted. That's how we act. It's not the Christian life what I, I would have wanted. As if God made a mistake or as if he got side-blinded. God's never side-blinded. You think God was side-blinded with Joseph? Noah? Preaching and nobody came. God told Noah to do something and Noah did it. Faithfully saved all of his family and nobody got on the ark with him. How many times have they laughed at you and you feel embarrassed? You're too embarrassed to tell your story. These disciples walked out. These apostles walked out of the council from the whipping and the beating rejoicing. Because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. I say, well, pastor, what does that have to do with me and my rebellion? Everything. Because that means you can come out saying, I was once this way. And let me tell you, the world me dio una paliza. The world stole my money, stole my relationships, stole my job. The devil stole my love. The devil stole my peace. The devil stole my joy and threw me out and said, walk shameful. Walk broken. And some are still walking broken. We got to show them that what? That God is glorified even in the whipping that the world gave us. God is glorified. And we can stand and say, to God be the glory. I, I still came out a winner. Why? Not because my bank is back to full. Not, not because I got my car back. Not, not because I got my house back. But because I got my sanity back. I, I got my future back. I got my eternity back. I, I'm restored back to the condition of what God has called me to be like. And so we see them that they walked out maybe bruised, bleeding, limping, black-eyed, whipped. They suffered dishonor. and Some of you are suffering dishonor right now. You're going through physical things. You've lost in your life. You're going through trials and despair. It's not for you to be crying. It's for you to re be rejoicing. That the Lord would count you worthy. Look at that. I'm going to give you another example. He counted Job worthy. He said, have you considered my servant Job? Oh, it is a joy when the Lord said, have you considered my servant Diana? Have you considered my servant Joshua? Have you considered my servant Lene? The enemy says, well, what am I able to do? Take it all away, but don't touch your soul. Have you considered? You're going to see. And, and you know what? Many times we sin with our lips. We don't remain faithful because we think that God is, oh, he's suffering. Unlike the glory of my presence. God's glory has made effect in the brokenness of humanity. God's glory and God's grace and God's power has made effect. When you are crying and you have no answers. He is the most near. The word of God teaches us that he is the most near. When we are in agony, when we are in pain, when we are in suffering, when we are in our closet space and crying out to the Lord and saying, God, I feel abandoned. That's when God is the most nearest. That's when we should feel his presence the strongest. When we have no answers, when we feel abandoned, when nobody's there to comfort us. That's when God is closest. 
That's when we are made unified in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Every time you cry, every time your life goes through hurt, you are made unified in the sufferings of Christ. All the more you should put Jesus' name on what you're going. Thank you, Jesus. So what is the enemy trying to do? He's trying to quiet the people of God that they would not come out preaching and speaking about Jesus Christ and what he did for you. He wants you to be embarrassed, silenced in worldly shame. And you say, what does my rebellion before surrendering to Jesus have to do or even stand in parallel with the obedience of the apostles in their suffering? Titus 3, 4, and 5 declares a great promise for you. And I want you to hold on to this promise because this is word of promise for your life of hope. But when the goodness, somebody say the goodness. But when the goodness and loving kindness of who? God. Amen. Our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of our works done by us in righteousness. But according to His mercy. <laughs> by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Not because of you. Not because of your works. But because of the, the love of God. Because of his loving kindness. Hebrews 7.25. I'll give you another one. It says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 declares, therefore, there is therefore now no, no more condemnations for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, who does that apply to? Only the righteous? No! He's talking about condemnation. What condemnation is there for the righteous? If you were righteous before coming to the Lord, what, is the, what does condemnation stand in your life for? No, he's talking about those that were lost in utter darkness but called to his light. And therefore, he's saying, there is therefore now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You say, well, what does my rebellion have to do with the disciples and how can I glorify God in this? Because there is therefore no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, you can glorify God even in what you were lost in. God can be glorified even in the life that has lived in rebellion. He gets the last laugh. He gets the last praise. And so you have proof. That God's grace has been lavished upon you, so count it all joy. This man had tattoos and scars and bullet holes and knife wounds and broken eye sockets still and broken and all tore up. And he was saying, I got more evidence of hurt than I do of joy and peace. Some of you are like that too. Look at my scar here in the world and look at my heart. It hurts here and look at my history here and look at my leg and I limp spiritually. You know, I was broken, beat up in the world. And all the more you should say God was there. You have proof. You have proof that God saved you. You have proof that God had his hand on your life and you have proof. You're, you know that, that picture of you when you were in prison like this here. Yeah, you, you got proof that you served man, but then the Lord saved your life. You, you know, you, you got proof. You know that picture of when you were on the streets, you know, homeless, and you don't want to show anybody, oh, it's an embarrassing. No, you got proof that God was with you every night, rainy night, where there was no food, no bed, no, no comfort. God was with you. The question is, why aren't you telling anybody about it? You got proof. The problem is we want, we want pretty proof. No scars, Lord, just uh, uh, testimonies of. Testimonies of what? Uh, good stories. <laughs> I don't know how anybody can have a testimony without scarred knees. We want testimony, but we don't want the, the hurt and the... There's one saying that goes like this, you see my glory, but you don't know my story. You know, and, and some of you, you, you want the glory, but you don't want the story. And God has given you a story so that God may be glorified in your life. And it doesn't matter where you've come from, doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. 
how much hurt that you have experienced, if you would let God grab a hold of your life, you would see that as these apostles were counted worthy for the suffering of Jesus Christ, so you also can stand in that same glory that you surrendered your life after so much hurt and that God would be glorified in your life. The law says, well, if you don't suffer for the cause of Christ, the law says if you don't suffer for the law of God, if you don't suffer for this law, you're not counted worthy for God. But we know that it's not by works, it's by surrenderance. Remember, it's not how the, the disciples suffered that made them worthy. It was the fact that they surrendered their lives to bring glory to God, even if it was in suffering or if it was in celebration. Now, some of you might say, well, that's contradictory because, you know, does that mean that I can sin and, you know, just come to God and get God, get God to be glorified? No, 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 God doesn't want you sinning. But if you come from a life and your eyes have been opened and the scales have come in off your eyes... And you understand the truth of God's word now. You, you no longer want to live in darkness. You no longer want to live that broken life. God can be glorified even in that suffering. Why? Because God had given you a story. God had to do something in your life. You might not understand right now. But when you look back at the facts, God was there. God was leading you. God was carrying you forward. God was giving you life. God was sustaining you. He should have let you die in your misery. But the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ had been lavished upon you. Even when we were sinners. Come on, don't act holy. To this morning even when you were a sinner the love of God was lavished on you man we, we act like only when I got saved the love of God was lavished on no when you were a sinner smoking that pipe drinking that beer at that paranda, paranda you know paranda, throwing up and dancing again We, we, we don't think about it. Even when you're doing the line of clothes. Oh, what? God was there? Yeah, he was there. Wow. He was there. How many things did you do to inherit an overdose and it didn't happen? We're... Brother Ravi told me, Pastor, I don't know, man, I don't know how I live, man. It's just I did some crazy things. God, God, the grace and mercy of God was lavished upon you even when you were in your rebellion. When you carried the title sinner, the love of God was lavished upon you. And now you're here. And so my prayer is that with Acts 5, that you had been edified in your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just break down what Acts 5 has been for us. I pray that you have been edified to strengthen your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your accountability to the Lord. As we learn with Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. That your word would be kept with God. That your faith would include the expectation for miracles, signs and wonders as you believe it. He causes the growth. You remember we learned that God causes the growth as we keep the reputation of his church alive. About his power. For the power of God and its glory is not a thing of the past. Nor an expired state. The power of God is still available to the church. Let me say that again. The power of God is still available to the church. If you look at the history of what we've been living in the gospel as the church. We went through a time and a place where it was all emotional. Then all of a sudden we stepped into an atmosphere where it was all teaching. And right now we're living a mixture. The people want the power of God and the word. And right now that there's a virus, a, a coronavirus, with patas walking around the world. The people really want the power of God right now. We've gone past the moment where they don't want psychological words. They want power. They want power. Listen, the people want power. Power. We're getting back to a place where it's revival of his power. Power. 
to allow the power of God to flow in the churches. You, you look at every preacher on TV that focused on that honey and milk. <laughs> right now they're wanting power. They want power. God's power is for the church. It's not a thing of the past. It's not something that turned off. It's something that we ignored. We also learned that your heart to evangelize and tell people about that name that's above every name would go beyond your comfort. That you would remember that you are a vehicle for the gospel. For it is not by power nor by might, but by his spirit, saith the Lord. My prayer is that through Acts 5, you would have been impacted to declare if God is for us, who can be against us? That you would have the courage to put God before man. Stand for the things that are honoring to God than the things that are recognizing to man. At all costs. Knowing that the gospel you serve and preach will not die out. There is a power in the gospel and we preach it. It's not a cult. It's not a hoax. An inspirational story. It's, it's true life. And it's your life in Jesus. It's true life to all those who believe. So I want to take this last portion and write down this first part with me. Right, they beat them. Verse 40 says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. You know, serving the Lord in these times, we will feel like it's a beating. And at times it will be felt physical. Nevertheless, it is all to intimidate the man and the woman of God to cease about talking about the name of Jesus. Look what Mark chapter 4 verses 17 declares. And they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. You know, it's important that with the same tenacity and courage that we stand with for personal beliefs we adhere to, we would also stand for when it comes to the truth of God. I have seen the walkouts of many employees on the news about people resigning, you know, as pilots and teachers and doctors and nurses and firefighters and first responders and police officers. Sad. Many other positions. And, and you know what? I agree that they are standing up for their freedom to choose what goes into their body. And I know some believers that have taken this, this stance with them. I agree with them. 100%. Boy, that's going to be a little touchy there. But I agree with them 100%. I believe every human being has the option and the decision to decide what goes into their body. What goes into their body. Or one said, well, so then that means that, you know, with abortion. No, abortion means you have another body in you. You got me twisted there a little bit. Now, I'm not talking about your body no more. Now you're talking about another body, another life. And so I agree that, you know, they're standing up for freedom to choose what goes into their body. And I know some believers that have taken this stance, and I agree 100% with them. What if they said, no praying at the work? What if they said, no reading your Bible at your job? What if they said, you can't mention Jesus here at your workplace? You can't share your faith. Would the same Christians that stand up for these things stand up for those things? Or crickets. Because we pick and choose what we're going to stand up for. But when it comes to what matters, we fold. We bend the knee. They say, well, you know, pastor, that day, it's already happening. In schools, you can't mention Jesus unless a student mentions it. Can't even bring a Bible. I know some kids that get in trouble for bringing their Bible to school. A doctor can't tell somebody, hey, let's pray. Come on. It's, it's against the law. There might be some leniencies in some places, but by law, a doctor is not supposed to say, let's pray for healing. 
And, and you know, we, we fold. We folded. Can't even wear a Christian shirt to your job. I don't want to, you know, I want to respect. Get respect. You don't care about respect anymore? Get vaccine, get nine, go and show it to work. But now we, we were all tough and courageous and yeah. But when it came to the things of the word of God, that we have been seeing a decline in the attitude and the ethic and the morality of the people of God, there has been no stand up. And now that we want to put our foot and start speaking up for our faith, they're saying, hey, when we took prayer, you didn't say nothing. When we said, don't bring your Bible, you didn't stand up and miss work. Come on, somebody. When we said, don't share your faith about Jesus with the co-workers, you didn't say nothing. You said, well, okay, I respect that. And all of a sudden, we want to stand up for something. And I'll tell you, right now, we are realizing how much the church has allowed the enemy to put his foot in. In your life, in your home. been taking place they've already removed him from the schools the hospitals we we've we've been challenged already with pressing decisions of either God or man and many have caved into the requirements of man but I encourage you to lead a life that is not afraid to express your faith trust and submission to God I was telling my wife a couple weeks ago I said you know what the time is going to come where it's going to feel pressing and oppressive in this nation but we got to be ready for it not to cave to make the decisions if that means that we got to pay a little extra to get our children out of this public school system and into a place where they can be taught the moral and the ethic then so be it that means no more Nikes and you know that means no more brand new shirt and that's all right but but what matters is that we are standing for what we believe in and and you know we're being pressed with these things even till today to bend to bend the rules I'm tired of bending of the rules they say well you know we don't want to be offensive just let me burst the bubble of the world Jesus Christ was the answer Jesus Christ is the answer and Jesus Christ will be the answer he was the answer in the past presidents he's the answer of any future president he's the answer he was the answer when we tried policies and he's the answer in future policies Jesus Christ is the answer for the one that is mentally ill Jesus Christ is the answer for the one that's physically ill Jesus Christ is the answer for the one that's about to divorce Jesus Christ is the answer for the drug addict son Jesus Christ is the answer ain't no Pavarello house better than Jesus ain't no program better than Jesus Jesus is the answer and you know what some of you might throw me under the bus for it but I'm willing Jesus Christ is the answer I'm not the answer step of faith church is not the answer Jesus is the answer he'll be the way the truth and the life until he comes back and I'm not here to sugarcoat it Jesus is the answer not Buddha not Confucius not Muhammad none of these gods that didn't say they would rise from the dead Jesus said you'll see me after the third day and he dwelled with them ate with them slept with them that's the God that I serve a resurrected God he's not dead he's He's not on the cross anymore. The, the, the tomb is empty. He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I this morning. Come on, somebody give him praise and glory and honor this morning. Jesus is the answer. You got to be real about it. No more of this fake stuff. Real. Philippians 1.29 declares, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ... You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Wow. Are you telling me that's the, go that's the gospel? That's the word. Philippians 1.29. Well, would you tell me the verse, Pastor, so I can read it on my own. <laughs> go ahead. Be my guest. It text me how the other version leads to the same thing. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. You can't get around that. Did you know that the word beaten also was, could also be translated as skinned? I want to educate you a little bit on the Hebrew, Greek version, definition of beaten. 
Beaten is also translated as skinned. And the beating I believe they received was stripped the skin off their bodies. You know, they, when they beat Jesus, they whipped him. They stripped his skin. Scholars say that his, his rib cage was to be seen. And so th it, it, was, it left wounds open. It wasn't a, a soft beating or, you know, like a little pow-pow, you know, a little ticket, you know. <laughs> it was like stuff you die over. You know, this was meant to be a serious lesson to serious offenders. What was the offense? Speaking the name of Jesus. And today we see speaking the name of Jesus a serious offense. We can't, we can't say the name of Jesus because then we're, we're, we're racist. We're terrorists. All of a sudden, you, you, you have a, a faith shirt on or a faith hat, people start looking at you weird. One guy's hat next to you say, hey, let's jump off a building together. Yours says, Jesus is life, and they're looking at you weird. His shirt says, let's jump off a building together. <laughs> But you're weird. Because this world has educated the system as in good being bad and bad being good. In the last days, they would be lovers of themselves. If you're still standing, church, keep pushing forward. Don't stop. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39 should be encouragement for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. They were beaten. And don't you be afraid when you got to go through some persecutions in your life. Stand firm. Stand for the truth. Be counted worthy for the suffering of that name. Write this down. They left rejoicing. Not only were they beaten, but they left rejoicing. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now, you know, the leaders thought they could intimidate and discourage, you know, the apostles with the beating. Instead, they left rejoicing. Now, they, they were not rejoicing that they suffered. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy. For the suffering and the shame for his name. It was a privilege to be associated with Jesus in any circumstance, even to suffer shame. You know, the rejoicing that the apostles were experiencing is not like the one you and I are thinking this morning. Like, yay, I just got whipped. <laughs> you know, like jumping and shouting. And like, me dieron una paliza. Good, yeah. Hallelujah. You know, I just. No, it was. We have, we have to understand that it was a different type of rejoicing. And I want to share with you the type of rejoicing that God expects for his people to have when times get tough because if you're thinking you're going to be smiling and you got to play this facade like everything's good that's not the rejoicing that the apostles were experiencing it was a humbling rejoicing it was a rejoicing of humility they weren't like yeah we just got beaten look at my finger is broken look at it's tight man look at it man The other ones are like, hey, my black eye, how, is it bulging or what? How does my eye look? No, suffering for Jesus brings tears. It's a different, more sincere type of praise and rejoicing when somebody suffers for the name of Jesus. And I believe that it was a rejoicing that was ushered in by humility. Broken physically, but exalted spiritually. Let me say it again. It was a rejoicing of being broken Physically, but exalted spiritually. 
The fact that you're praising God even though physically things have not been turning out your way, but you're crying in tears and you're worshiping God. You're rejoicing. Some people don't understand that. They, they confuse that with being miserable in your life. Mira como está bien miserable, the sister. No. Oh, look at how broken the brother is. Look at poor him. Poor him. Pobrecito. No. It's like a tear. They will never understand that type of tear. They will never understand that there has been times where I have been here on my knees crying out to the Lord and giving thanks to God. Not because I look like a winner, but because in him I'm always a winner. Even if the world seems as if it's had its way against my life, I can stand and praise the Lord broken physically, broken in my spirit, broken, you know, in areas of my life but I raise my hands that makes me a winner the devil gets angry when he tried everything in his book to get you down but yet you still raise your hand in praise you still raise your voice and say God is good he gives and he takes away blessed be the name of the Lord it's a different type of it's a different type of rejoicing Romans 5 3 and 4 declares more than that we rejoice in our sufferings Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces what? Hope. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 declares, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. You know, emphasize, you know, you got to emphasize on your trials and your sufferings that they make you closer to the Lord. They make you closer to God. Rejoicing that we are counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. We all want to be intact. We want everything to be perfect. And we're forgetting that in our suffering, we can rejoice. In the loss, you can rejoice. And the moment you raise your voice and you raise your hand, the enemy becomes a loser as he is. The fact that people have abandoned you. The fact that they have turned their backs on you. The fact that you don't have what you had before. But you can still praise God. The one thing the devil can't take away is your praise. He can take away your car. He can be allowed to take away your house. He can be allowed to touch your health. But one thing he cannot take away is what we produce. And what we can produce is praise. What we can produce is worship. And when I'm going through the toughest time of my life, I find it more of an eagerness for me to raise my hands and give him praise. Don't give in to the emotional part. I'm losing. I'm going to lose this battle. This is hard. And this is, I feel broken. I feel confused. I feel depressed. I, I feel anxiety. No, shake it off. Give God praise. Let him turn your mourning into dancing. Let him turn your hurt into joy. He can do it. They rejoiced for being counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Write this next one down. They went from the temple to. Verse 42. And every day in the temple and from the house, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus Christ, that Christ is Jesus. It went from the temples to the houses. I think that that's the way it needs to be. It needs to go from the temple. To the houses. Amen. This is the way this needs to be because it's beautiful that we come to the house of the Lord. And it's good that you're in your own time, you know, praising God, building up the temple. But there needs to come to a time where we need to step out of the temple. We need to, we need to go to the houses. Look at this. Instead of saying, let's continue to preach and teach only in the temples. Because that's what they were doing first. Right? Remember the first time that they were put in prison and the angel came and delivered them? Where were they preaching at? In the temple. And then the Lord freed them and then they went back out. Some would say tontos. <laughs> no. They had a mission and a vision. God told them to do something. And there they went outside. Once again, they went outside. Man, somebody said, dummies, man. I would have I went on vacation for a little bit. Some of you get in trouble for doing things for God and you go on the down low for a little bit. Well, I don't want to get in trouble anymore. No. <laughs> Poke at it. Keep doing what God told you to do. You know, they, they went back out to the same spot where they can get caught again. Like some would say, man, you guys could have picked a different spot, right? But they went right back out to the same spot and preached. Your family, 
keep preaching. Your friends, keep preaching. Your neighbors, keep preaching. There's a reason why you cannot move from that house. <laughs> your neighbor yesterday is your neighbor tomorrow. <laughs> and your neighbor tomorrow is the neighbor right after. You know that blood brother, you know that brother you have in blood you can't get rid of? Oh, that's your brother for life. Keep telling them about the Lord. There's a reason why God pressed on your heart somebody you can't get rid of. Why? Because God wants you to meet. And don't get tired. Don't go get weary of doing good. Because in due time, God will reward you. You continue to preach Jesus to that person. Continue to tell them. They might say, get away from me. I don't want to hear about this no more. Tell them, the Lord is going to heal you. You watch. God's going to restore your life. God's going to restore your children. They're, it might seem tiresome to you that they're not getting it. But you keep preaching it. You keep preaching in that temple. You keep telling them. You know, and, and they were preaching in the temple. And then the Lord said, after the beating, now I'm going to extend you guys out. You're no longer going to just preach in the temple. Now I want you to go to the houses. You would have thought that the beating would have told them, restricted them only to be in the temple. But instead, it expanded their ministry. Your suffering will expand your ministry. Your suffering will expand your reach. Your suffering will expand what you can do for God. You think of it something to hold you back and God is saying, no, it's something to thrust you forward. There's a reason why God called Paul to suffer as he did, being a Roman citizen. So that when he went into Rome, <laughs> he said, you guys treated me unfairly, right, as a Roman citizen. And a door opened up. There's a reason why God allowed you to take the path that you did. So that you would be a, a Paul to your Rome. That you would be a voice for the Lord Jesus Christ in a place where nobody else can go into. It went from the temple to the houses, but what were they preaching and teaching? Not just the name of Jesus, but that Christ is Jesus. Now, I want to break this down real quick. Just give me five minutes. Christ represented the anointed one. That's what Christ means. Christ means anointed one. It means Messiah, Savior, Holy One. So what were they preaching? They were preaching because, remember, the Jews believed in a Christ. They didn't, they didn't believe that Jesus was Christ. <laughs> just, just listen to this because they believed in Christ. They just didn't believe Jesus was the Christ. And so you have to see where our message has power at. That Jesus is the Christ. There are Jews still waiting for the Christ. And some have said he's already come. It's a prophecy already. They have already named their Christ, their Messiah. They said their Messiah has come, Jews. They're worshiping, preparing him. It's prophecy coming and fulfilling already. But we know that Christ has already come. He's already been established. That false Messiah that's standing up in these last days. We see the false Messiahs that stood up even in the days of these apostles. Apostle Peter. We've seen these false, these false Messiahs that stood up and said, let's fight for this and let's do this. Paul, Peter and the other apostles continue to preach that Christ was Jesus. That Jesus was Christ, the Messiah. Our message relies on that Jesus is the Christ. He is not another prophet. He is not a man that did good, another man. He is the Messiah and he came and he died for the sins of the world. That those who would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is not another name on the list of help for the city. He is the only name for help for the city. He is not another option for your family member. Hey, what, why don't you give Jesus a try? No, we got to say Jesus is the only thing that's going to work for you. Jesus Christ is the only one. And these apostles, they went on teaching what Christ is Jesus. Oh, that the church would not cower in fear of declaring that Christ is Jesus. That he has come, that he has paid, he has established, and he is returning. That the boldness would come over your life to tell those around you that Christ is Jesus. If there is anything that becomes uh, 
a stumbling block is when we make another way for the people we want to come to the Lord, that we make other ways for them to find peace in their life. We have to point them to Jesus. And let me tell you, that's a hard message because sometimes you cannot explain why. Maybe in that program or maybe in that church it didn't work out for them. You don't have the answers for that. But Jesus is still the answer. I've had some people say, well, you know, Pastor, I tried that program, and 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 they take out their banjo, and I went to that program over there, and I went to over there, and they got a list of all these places they've been to, and none of it's worked. They're expecting you to say, well, why don't you try a secular option? Jesus Christ is the answer. That's where it becomes hard because I can't explain why it didn't work out in all of those things. But the answer that we cannot cower from is that Jesus is the answer. You ask anybody that has come to me asking for help in either becoming free from addiction or a life of gang. Coming straight out of prison, I tell them you got to get plugged in. You got to get Plugged into Jesus. You can try that program over there, but there ain't nothing like getting plugged into the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're going to go into the program to get plugged in to Jesus, do it by faith. Walk out the process and get plugged into Jesus. But after that is done, will you stay at the cross? Will you stay at the feet of Jesus? Because many people go into Christian-based programs and thinking that if I just do the program, I'll be done. No. This is a commitment at the feet of Jesus. This is something we got to stay for the rest of our life. Submitted and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Through him. I want you to stand to your feet with me this morning. I know you all are returning to Temecula or some of you are returning to Temecula. Brother, you're, you're here. You live here in Fresno, the valley? Yeah. Clovis. For the ones that are returning to Temecula, I pray that you would go back. And in how the Lord is calling you guys that you would share Jesus with people, your family, with your friends. Christ is coming back soon, church. And we need to share that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. And under heaven, in no other name, can man find the redemption of his soul. Only in the name of Jesus. This morning, right there where you're at, either online or here in the house, that we would, my prayer this morning is that you would ask the, ask the Lord to take the fear out of your spirit. The, the life that is just drifting as a Christian that you would feel a real press of God's presence to say, I have been called to make a difference. That as you come out of this place, you would say, the Lord has called me to make a difference. There's so many people that are in need. And there are not enough pastors. Listen. So much need, not enough pastors. Some say, well, let the pastor do it. Let the pastor do it. Not enough pastors. But there's enough people. Almost a person for every person. <laughs> Almost a person for every person. But we cower. We get afraid. And my prayer is that you would get rid of that fear. That you would become so radical for Jesus. 
so radical for the Lord Jesus Christ that it would seem like, man, they're crazy. But we were crazy in the world. Spending our check in the bar, you know, the money for the light. But you had so much faith, you'd find it for, <laughs> that you spent it. <laughs> we had so much faith, we'd find our money after we spent it in the bar, spent it on our habits. There you went spending all your money and throwing it. You had so much faith you'd find money after to pay the light in the water. And now in the Lord, the Lord's saying, give me that faith. Give me that energy. Give me that courage. See what I can do with it. Give me that, that faith to believe I can do it. And we'll be so courageous for God. More courageous than when we were ever in the world. We come to the Lord and all of a sudden we fold our, our bed sheets and we, everybody wants to rest. Mm. <laughs> when it's now the more, we ought to get more busy for God. We ought to be more loud. Have more tenacity, more courage. Why did you get saved? become all quiet I don't want to offend nobody it, it might be too hard don't, don't forget how hard it wasn't finding pesetas and quarters you know to get the next hit and you know you, you're scavenging I mean you're too fine you made a way in the world you made a way. Look, at, just I pray this convicts your heart because you didn't make no excuses for the world. You didn't, you didn't make no excuses when you were lost. You went out of your way to make it happen. And since you got saved, the Lord has been calling you, make a way. Show me. And you might end up in jail, but that's all right. He'll send angels. When God wants you to do something, he'll get you out. The same way you had faith in yourself. I'll find the money. I'll find it. I'll figure it out. Yeah, go ahead and buy it. Buy it, buy it. We'll figure it out. In the Lord now, God wants the same faith. I'm going to be tired, but you know what, Lord? Uh, you, you give me the strength, God. Lord, you know what? Uh, I, I, this, this seems hard. It seems difficult, but you're calling me to do it. You'll back me up, God. You'll, you'll deliver me. The apostles, they preached and they were put into the jail. And all of a sudden, the angel came out. And what did the angel tell them? Go and preach. Tell the words of this life. And again, they went out there and went to go preach and teach again. They put their hands on them, put them in prison. They said, how did you guys get out? The Lord. And I can imagine they were saying, well, how is the Lord going to get us out of this? And now they know how it's going to come by angels. <laughs> now they know. The Lord says, no, I'll just use Gamaliel now. <laughs> One of their own. <laughs> and as they were there, they were standing and they were saying, we taught, told you guys not to teach in the name of Jesus. You guys are probably going to have to stand here. And then all of a sudden, Gamaliel stands up for them. Hey, um, well, you know, don't put your hands on them. God raises up people in our midst. We don't know why God does things, but God has our back. And if we serve the Lord with our lives, I've seen God come through for me thousands of times. Thousands of times I've seen the Lord come through for my life, our home, our family, our needs. When God says, give it up, trust me in this and see that I will not provide. Trust me in this and we have done it, we've believed God and we've seen miracle and I've never seen the righteous forsaken and neither my children begging for bread. God has always had it our backs and when God tells you to do something listen to this I don't care if you run out of gas God will put gas back in the tank because when God wants you to get somewhere and you say Lord I don't know how but okay God will get you there he told Paul Paul I want you to go to Rome how I don't got no money <laughs> I don't got no help he said I'm gonna put you on a ship oh thank you Lord first class no as a prisoner. <laughs> right? As a prisoner. But just know, Paul, that in the process, you're going to 
touch those prisoners' hearts. Paul, get ready because the, the, the ship is going to wreck. And when it wrecks, a, a serpent's going to tie itself around your arm. But don't, don't be afraid. I'll be with you. When you trust the Lord, God's not saying there's not going to be no problem. He's going to say there might be shipwrecks. You might have to play the part of a prisoner. <laughs> right? A serpent might lock around your arm. But nevertheless, if I've called you to be somewhere, I'm going to get you there. And when you say, God, here I am, Lord, send me. The Lord says, I'm going to send you. you got to trust me. And right now, maybe things might not be turning out your way in what God has called you to do. But trust him. Trust the Lord. He will be there to deliver you. And right now, as we grab a hold of the courage of God right now, as you prepare yourself to come out into that battlefield, that you would walk out with God's courage, that you would walk out with tenacity, that you would walk out with authority, saying, God, you've sent me, and nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to believe you. Whether it be for your family, your children, your health, whatever it is, right now, just by faith, just believe it right now. Raise your hand by faith right now. Whatever it is, God's going to do it.